Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Jacob can't join us today, but he'll be back next week, so don't worry about him. He's just stuck in some meetings. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, let's talk about what we've been doing. Yesterday, I got to go to Avengers Campus for a press day. And this is the new theme park land in Disney California Adventure in Southern California. It is based on the Avengers. It's the first Avengers theme park land is what Disney is saying. Because, you know, there is a Marvel theme park land in Universal Islands Adventure in Florida. And uh, to be honest with you... Uh, it was a little bit underwhelming. It feels like the first phase of a thing. Uh, we did a video for Ordinary Adventures um, and a write-up on SlashFilm.com. I'll link both of those in the show notes. Um, but we did like a walking tour, bringing around the whole campus. I think when I looked at the square footage of this, it was almost like a little bit more than a third of Galaxy's Edge. So it's really small. And that includes the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout attraction. Uh, the, the new ride is Spider-Man. Is the Spider-Man ride is called Web Slingers. And you are basically attending an open house at this uh, tech company that Peter Parker works at. They're, they're developing this technology. It's a vehicle that once you enter the vehicle, it lets you sling webs like Spider-Man. Why, why are they making that technology? I don't know. But uh, just when you're attending the, the open house, his other creation, the spider bots, uh, they're self-replicating, which seemed like a smart idea at the time, I guess, uh, <laughs> started to replicate themselves. And uh, they just basically wreck, wreck havoc uh, across this whole headquarters or this whole um, <laughs> this whole uh, environment. So you basically are uh, you team up with Spider-Man, go into the, the these I think they're called the the web slinger vehicles and you get to help him <laughs> uh, take out the spider bots and save the save the yeah save avengers campus you're not saving the world you're saving avengers campus it's kind of like one of those if you've ever been on toy story midway mania or 
any of those kind of like Buzz Lightyear uh, has a ride that you, you shoot things with. It's very much a game more than it is a ride. It's fun, uh, but it does feel like the same situation when when Disney opened Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They opened with their sea ticket attraction, which is Smuggler's Run, and the e-ticket the e attraction, the big bad uh, Rise of the Resistance, opened up months later and it really feels like this that's what's happening here but instead of opening up months later they have an avengers attraction it's going to be like you go on this um, mission with the avengers and this quinjet and that's been delayed indefinitely it's probably going to be a few years out so it feels like half a land that said they have some incredible food Brad, I wish you could could have been there with me because like me too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they have Pim's Test Kitchen, which is, you know, obviously Hank Pim. Uh, he developed Pim particles, which get to enlarge and shrink things. And that, that lets you have a lot of fun with different food items. So like, you know, a huge uh, pretzel or, you know, a a chicken sandwich where the, the chicken uh, part of it is huge and then the bun is small and they're like all that kind of like fun stuff i think the best thing i tried was uh this peanut butter and jelly sandwich which has this candied bacon has some banana in it um it was it's, it was i don't know it's hard to describe it just sounds like basic but it was really really good and uh they, they also have the the i forgot what it's called it's called the the tasting lab i think test lab, something like that, where they make drinks and uh, they, they, they actually have uh, beers where it fills from the bottom of the cup up and they have a lot of uh, different fun experimental cocktails and stuff. I, I really think the food here is the highlight of the thing. Uh, and next, they have a bunch of character experiences like there's you get to go into dr strange's uh, ancient sanctum and he it's kind of like a marvel magic show that i never knew i wanted uh, people seem to have fun with that and uh, one of the highlights of the experiences is of course peter parker is running all around on top of uh his, the web building that the ride takes place in and he he does like this whole i, I don't want to call it a stunt show because it's more of a demonstration of his acrobatic abilities and at one point he runs off the you, you know from view and then they use this thing that they've uh been showing in all the media for quite some time it's called a stuntronic it's an animatronic stuntman that is dressed in a spider suit that flies through the sky and then when it lands it, there's like a seamless transition to the, the you know the actual actor in the spider suit climbing down a, a wall it, it, it's really cool and fun i think kids are gonna enjoy this but it, it does in the end it does feel like half a theme park land but yeah anyways i i'm not gonna bore you with all that you can go check out my write-up on slash film and you can check out the video if you want to see it in video form and i'll link those in the show notes and uh, not to get too theme park heavy this week, but I did also return to Universal Studios Hollywood, which uh, reopened a few, you know, like a, I want to say like a month ago. But a couple of things weren't open when it reopened. And one of those things was the Waterworld stunt show, which is so crazy that they still have a Waterworld stunt show. But it, it's because it's like the greatest stunt show of all time. And uh, that just reopened this past week. So I went back there to to re-experience that, see how it changed. Spoiler alert, it didn't really change much. <laughs> but um, it's a lot of fun. I'll put a link to that if you've never seen it. Um, I, I really... 
I really think Waterworld is one of those movie ideas. I know it was Chris, you might know this best. Was Waterworld considered a huge failure or just like a somewhat of a failure at the box? Uh, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not like a it's not like the biggest flop of all time, but it did not. Uh, it, it, the problem is it had a huge budget and they kept going over budget. And that's that's pretty much what got in the way. Yeah, I think it probably ended up making some money back on home video and streaming. And that's probably why they had a, a stunt show and stuff. But it, it really does have a great concept. And I think one day Universal has to remake Waterworld. It's like the perfect, uh, it, you know, reboot Waterworld in some way. But, um, okay, let's uh, move on. HT, what have you been up to? Oh, a bit of shameless self-promotion on my part. Uh, I was featured on, in Rotten Tomatoes' Know Your Critics series. I was the latest um, interview that they do. They do a series of interviews with various um, Rotten Tomatoes certified, like approved critics. And um, I was the one for May for AAP, AAPI month. And um, you can check out the interview. It's in the show notes. It's um, me rambling about movies, including movies that I like, movies that influence me, and movies I dislike. So it's just kind of, I hope I sound intelligent. I don't know. I, I looked at it and I was like, I'm not going to read that because <laughs> I don't want to see how I sound. It was a spoken interview and they transcribed it. So I don't know if it's all quite correct, but you know, it's out there. And now you can look into my um, inner process through uh, this this interview on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And I, I do want to mention up front here that I my microphone broke that I usually use in my closet, the podcasting studio. So I'm out in my living room, which is a little bit more uh, <laughs> echoey. So if, if you hear that, I apologize. Hopefully I'll have things fixed by the next time you hear me. But um, okay, Brad, what have you been up to? Um, so I decided to start a separate uh, Instagram account um, that might turn into like my own personal side project at some point, maybe. Um, but it's called Brad's Junk. And it's a, a Instagram feed where um, I'll be posting about uh, various snacks, drinks, food, also uh, toys, collectibles, kind of just whatever tickles my fancy, hence the all-encompassing name uh, Brad's Junk. And so I started a while back and like uh, got some posts, you know, built up just so that there was stuff there. So like when I actually came around to like telling people about it, that there was some, you know, decent stuff there to scroll back through. Um, and uh, it's, it's been kind of cool, actually, because like uh, just from using hashtags and stuff like that, people have just randomly found it. And so like there's there's by no means a big following or ever. It's, it's literally like a handful of people who have just ra randomly found it. And apparently liked all the stuff that I like posting about. So um, if you want to check it out, um, it's at look at Brad's junk on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you want to follow, uh, I'll, I'll be posting a lot about uh, a lot of the stuff that like, I mentioned on here, but also some stuff that doesn't always uh, get mentioned, like on Slash Room or things like that. And in some cases, you might find out about it even sooner because since the water cooler only happens, you know, once a week. People looking for crotch shots are going to be very disappointed, Brad. Look it's very junk. It's it's true. It's true. I I'm willing to take that risk. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'm glad this isn't an OnlyFans, Brad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I will start an OnlyFans where it won't be risque at all. It'll just be me holding up snacks and toys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to what we've been watching uh, this past week. I decided to reactivate my AMC A list membership. After it being vacant since 
March 2020. And I went to the first uh, movie. Well, actually, I went to the movie theater for Tenant, but that was with a group of friends and we rented out a theater. But this is the first time I was in a public movie theater with people I didn't know in you know, a packed theater. And th- that's what I wanted to talk about is I went on Friday, the opening of A Quiet Place Part 2. And almost every theater in LA was sold out to the lowered capacity. I don't know what the capacity is. Like, for example, in the row that we were in, which was the first row of this Dolby theater, you know, it was uh, Kitra and I, and then on either side, there was two empty seats and then there was, you know, two people and then two empty seats. So I'm guessing that's like some less than 50% capacity. I don't know, but it, it, it seemed like it was going to be hard to get tickets. Even like the, I looked at the Saturday morning show, the first show in, in the matinee and Saturday morning, and only the first two rows were available. And this was at like Friday on like a, at 2 PM. So it, I'm just surprised that people are already. So especially in California, we've been kind of like, <laughs> uh, hold up in California here. Uh, the, the, government has been very um, restrictive and uh, tr- trying to protect us. And I'm j- just so surprised that everybody was just so out and about, like the the mall that I went to was just so busy. And uh, Brad and Chris, I, I, I know we haven't talked about this movie yet, but did either of you see this movie in a movie theater? Indeed. You did? Yes. Did, did, did you go to a public screening? No, I didn't go to a public screening. Um, I decided to uh, do a private screening with uh, roughly the same group of people who I saw Tenant with back in September, which was the last time I was in a movie theater as well. Um, We just didn't, mostly we didn't want to mess with crowds just yet, uh, not just because of the pandemic, but just because this is also the kind of movie where like the ambiance of the theater, it's nice when it's quiet. And so not having to worry about strangers and having the ability to rent out a theater and not have it really costs uh, much more for each ticket than it would if we were seeing it with a public screening was just a preferable experience. Um, so I, I ended up going back to my local uh, AMC theater, which is still only open three days a week. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, it was, you know, a fine experience. Nothing new really uh, about what was going on, um, except where they have, they don't have the, um, the butter dispensers for your popcorn, you don't do it yourself now. And if you want extra butter on top of what they give you, they put it like in these little condiment cups and it kind of looks like urine uh, in the condiment cup. So that's neat. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just the same. And, and they got to fill up your, your Coke at the freestyle machines. They, yes. they don't allow you to do it. Oh, so actually for whatever reason, uh, they didn't have a problem with us doing that at our AMC theater. Hmm. Yeah, we were able to fill up our own our own drinks, um, but yeah. Otherwise, the experience itself was uh, fine, I suppose. I'm I'm not quite to the point where I'm uh, reactivating my A list uh, membership yet because there's not enough that I want to see in theaters, or, and I will also probably still be doing these private rentals for the bigger movies with friends as long as they're available and we have enough people to make it affordable. So um, yeah, I'll probably that's something I'll probably do once things are a lot more back to normal. Yeah. Chris, I assume you saw a screener? No. Uh, for Christmas, my wife got me a, a gift card so we could rent out a theater. You know, the, the thing you know, like that oh, talking about. I saw your Instagram post of that, and it, it looked right. like a nice theater. It's, it was just an AMC. Um, and 
so, you know, I've had this since Christmas and we just haven't gone because there hasn't been much to see. Like they've been showing older movies and like, I didn't want to like use it for that because I could just watch those at home. And so when this was coming out, I was like, oh, this is it. This is finally a chance to use this damn gift card. So uh, I booked a theater and even though, you know, we could bring, I think it's like up to 20 people or whatever. I don't want to do that. So it was just me and my wife in a theater all alone. And it was probably like the best movie going experience of my life. In fact, it kind of made me a little sad because I realized it would never be this good again, unless I like get really rich and can afford to rent out a theater every weekend for myself because uh, I, I love movies. I hate going to the movies because people are just awful. They won't shut up. They won't put their phones away. They won't stop opening fucking candy wrappers. And I hate it. It just, I, I don't miss that at all. I miss the you know big screen, but I do not miss being in a theater with just annoying, horrible people. So this was just fantastic. It was just me, my wife, completely alone watching a movie and it was just bliss. And I, I you know, I wish I could have that experience again. Yeah. I, I, I can say that being back in the theater felt good and, uh, I didn't love A Quiet Place Part 2. I, I did like it a lot, but it, I think it made me like it more <laughs> seeing it in the theater than I, I probably would have at home. Um, it, it, that's just the type of movie. I, I know you guys were saying, like, you know, people can be jerks and you, you kind of want quiet. But I, I kind of like that that tension in the theater that the guy, you know, behind you that has, like, some candy can't – like, you know, he stops and like he can't put his hand in the candy because it'll make that rattling sound. And you don't want to make that rattling sound during like this really tense, like low moment. And I kind of love that. I really like the opening sequence, which has John Krasinski. And I I think, oh no, the rest of the movie felt like it was missing him uh, in some way. And the, they replaced him with this other male lead character who I wasn't as into but i i still think it was very good i just don't i object because killian Murphy is amazing i i like him but i just don't think there was enough to his character i don't know yeah that's fair he's kind of an archetype yeah uh brad what did you think um i i enjoyed it um i don't think it's quite on par with the first movie um and i think that's mostly just because like the 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 novelty of just how quiet everything is and the suspense it's it's not quite as thrilling or exhilarating as it was the first time around um but one thing i really appreciated um was how they they framed each of the um the kids in this movie and like their their arc and them stepping up and sort of you know growing up in this you know terrifying environment and how they uh juxtapose like the the imagery throughout the scenes um, going back and forth and just the way it it connected um, you know both thematically and visually uh, I, I really appreciated that and uh, I, I agree that um, with with HT Killian Murphy is great um, in this movie with you know he's, he's not given a lot to do uh, but I thought that he was he was fantastic in uh, in his role here and uh, I'm interested to see uh, you know it sounds like that they have a plan for uh, a trilogy at least one more chapter so uh, exactly where they go from here um, will be interesting because this this what I, I liked about the sequel is they didn't necessarily try and ramp it up 
in the way that like um, aliens did or, you know, movies of that ilk where it became was on a much larger scale. They still kept it really grounded since that's what worked so well the first time. And, you know, now that they're starting to spread this idea of how to effectively, you know, kill the monsters, you know, I'm wondering if the next one is the one that does that and how they, you know, kind of wrap it up to give, you know, this post-apocalyptic world, you know, a hope of coming back. Yeah, I will say that I was a little nervous that they were kind of kind of do away with <laughs> the events of the first film and what they learned about how to take on these monsters like, you know, either have this thing get destroyed or, you know, something like that. And they didn't do that. And they they were able to still go along with it and find ways to make it just as suspenseful and thrilling, even though they have that method. Chris, what, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Um, I don't think it was good as good as the first one, but I want to also add that I think Killian Murphy is is fantastic in this movie. I think I mean he's a better yeah. actor. He's a better actor in general than John Krasinski and his presence even though I agree that, you know, the character is a little thin, he's such a a good actor that he makes it work just with like his facial expressions and how, you know, tormented he seems and so I I really loved him in this. Um it has like one or two it has a few issues. I feel like there are some, you know, I I'm I always am able to, uh, you know, suspend disbelief. Uh, but there, there are a few like jumps in this movie where things happen, where it, it requires a really big leap of logic. And I had a little problem with that. I also think it, it ends a little abruptly. And um, uh, other than that, I, I, this isn't a complaint, but it occurred to me that like, I don't think they ever say any of the characters names in the first movie. And I realized I don't really know any of their names. And at one point, Emily Blunt calls the son Marcus. And I was like, is that his fucking name? Like, I had no idea that was his name. And like the girl is named Reagan. Like they never say her name. And I, like, and I just think that's like kind of interesting that like, I'm almost positive. They don't say like most of the characters names of these movies. And that, you know, that's, uh, and that's not a complaint because I, I really hate when movies try and shoehorn that in where the, and like, they're like, or they're like a character's brother will come in and it'll be like, what's up, bro. It's like, yeah, get out of here. I hate when they do that. So, uh, that's just a, I just thought it was a amusing, uh, thing that I, I never really had thought of when I watched the first movie, but yeah, other than that, pretty good movie. I, I liked seeing it alone. I'm, I'm sure if I had seen it with an audience, I'd be like, Oh, shut the hell up. But otherwise I had fun with it. I, I want to clarify again. I wasn't talking about the actor. I was talking about the character. I just feel like the character doesn't fill the same shoes as John Krasinski's character from the first first movie. But, but why do you hate Killian Murphy, Peter? I just don't <laughs> like the way he looks, Brad. Whoa, that's a that's a tough <laughs> tough stance. <laughs> okay. Um, I've also been uh, watching more of Cruel Summer. This is the show I mentioned on the last Water Cooler, and I've actually gotten a lot of. Uh, DMs and messages and at replies on Twitter, people telling me they like that recommendation. Uh, this is the show that's on free form. It's a, uh, I don't even know how you, there, there's a mystery element. It's not a murder mystery per se, but it's interesting. Uh, it plays with time in an interesting way. And as you go on with the season, it also plays with perspective. Different episodes are, take place from different characters' perspectives. And I just want to say I'm still enjoying it. I'm in the last. I think two episodes of that it's airing 
live, so I have not seen the the how it ends. But and I watched a bunch of screeners. I watched a whole season of TV, and I watched a movie which I cannot talk about yet. I just mentioned that because yes, I have been watching stuff. I just am not allowed to talk about it, and it's not anything like super duper exciting. So I'm not even bragging. I'm just saying, guys, I've been doing stuff. I've been watching stuff. I've been going to theme parks. I've been doing stuff. I just can't talk about it yet. Um, but Brad, what have you been watching? I have been watching Marvel's MODOK, um, which is uh, definitely different from the usual Marvel uh, television offerings. But it's a lot of fun. If you enjoy Deadpool, if you like Rick and Morty, this is basically a mashup of the two, but with uh, stop motion animation that feels like it's straight from Robot Chicken. Um it's, it's interesting because I feel like they could have easily made this show and not had to use any Marvel properties or characters. Um, it's, it's not that they don't use them in a way that is, you know, fun because there are plenty of, you know, uh, nods to the comics and uh, pop culture references to various characters and uh, things like that, that people know from Marvel mythology. But the, the, the main, you know, crux of the show is just basically this, dysfunctional weird family where one of them happens to be uh this you know weird machine supervillain. um but uh, like but this this could easily have been something that that wasn't tied to marvel in any way but uh the thing that really makes this work so well is Patton oswalt as modok because his voice just fits the character so well the show has a lot of his comedic sensibilities within it just um, it's full of random pop culture references and asides and just it's there's a lot of stuff that you would he, like definitely hear in his stand up acts, you know, and it, that's mostly because, you know, he's an executive producer on the show. It feels like the show was built around him and it's just it's the role that he was born to play. Essentially, it's just perfect for uh, his kind of humor and his love for pop culture and just full of nerdy things and there's just there's just so much into it and the the jokes come flying pretty quickly too and it's also uh very grotesque and weird at times um like like i said you know in the same vein of like a rick and morty it definitely gets a lot more strange and sci-fi than something like like deadpool but it has that you know irreverent sense of humor um that makes for an interesting pairing with uh marvel comics especially you know with how serious Marvel Studios is is about, you know, their franchises today and like keeping them in control. This is something that's just so different um, coming from Marvel, but it's, it's thoroughly enjoyable. So if you, if you like Pat Oswalt, if you like, you know, Rick and Morty and Deadpool, I would, I would definitely give this a shot on Hulu. Does it break the third wall and mention any of the <clears throat> Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff? Um, Not that I can recall. I don't think that there's, there's any fourth wall breaking. I'm pretty sure it's all, within the i'm pretty sure it's all yeah within the narrative that that's there's so there's nothing like that interesting okay what else have you been watching um i also watched the platform uh which is the spanish film that's available on netflix that is pretty um unsettling and and unnerving um if you haven't heard of this it's uh basically this um science fiction thriller uh, where this guy wakes up and he's in this, um, what is called a vertical self-management center. And it's basically this very tall prison where there are a couple hundred floors of two people on each floor. And throughout these, uh, throughout a one month period, there is this platform that fall goes through each of the floors 
every day with a huge smorgasbord of uh, food. And it stops for a, a designated period of time at each floor to allow each of the two prisoners to eat some food before it goes down to the next level. And so because there are so many floors with two people on each floor, as it gets lower, there's less and less food until at some point there's no more food and the people on the lower level are left to either starve or potentially kill uh, their cellmates in order to eat. Um, and so uh, it's very, it's not subtle by, uh, by any means when it comes to the social commentary that it's trying to make on uh, class and the, the rich and the poor and how, you know, people take more than what they need and all that jazz, but it's, it's still very effective. Um, there's, it's, it's very violent and, and bloody and, uh, the performances are, are really good. There's some very, um, seedy characters throughout and there's, there's, there's even like a compelling mystery to it. Um, so as long as you know, you're not put off by the somewhat, uh, heavy handed, you know, social commentary of it all. It is, um, it's a very compelling thriller. What else have you been watching? I've also been watching other things like um, Ma, another you know um, horror thriller uh, with Octavia Spencer going against type, doing something that was a little um, different than what we've expected from her. And uh, this came out a while back. I, I want to say 2018, maybe 2019, something like that. And I just been putting it off. I hadn't watched it, but um, my mom had seen it. And when she heard that I hadn't seen it, she thought we should watch it. So it's um, it's solid, but it's. I feel like it takes a little too long to really get to the more terrifying um, part of the, of the story. There's a lot of buildup for not um, so much payoff. And that's not to say that it's, there's still not, you know, some horrifying elements here. Once Octavia Spencer finally gets to, um, it goes full blown maniac mode, but it's, uh, there are a couple very like jarring, surprising uh, moments that I, I won't spoil, but when you're watching it, you're just like, oh my god, you know, it's just, it's just. It, sometimes it gets suddenly uh, chaotic and violent. Um, I, I feel like there are a little too many loose ends and leaps in logic to allow something like this to happen, and no one to no one finding out about certain events in the movie. Um, I'm being intentionally vague just because I don't want to spoil certain things for anyone who hasn't seen it, but um, but it's it's cool enough seeing Octavia Spencer do a role like this because she does a very good job at being um, menacing and turning from being this cool person who's just trying to help some kids party into being this absolutely, you know, vengeful, crazy person. So uh, if that's something that interests you, then give it a shot. I think it's still on HBO max. See, this seems like the definition of what I would consider an A-list movie, like a movie that you see the trailer every time you're going to like see some junk using your AMC A-list and you decide, ah, well, you know, it's free. I'll go see it. And I, I just want to mention also how much I enjoyed being back in the theater and seeing trailers again. And I didn't think I would ever miss Maria Menounos, but I, I, I liked seeing her on the big screen again. <laughs> it's like I've been reunited with a friend, Brad. Well, that's nice. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I also saw a movie called I Remember uh, Mama, which is not anything like Ma. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, it's a classic movie. Wait, um, wait a second. Is there a reason why you saw Ma and I Remember Mama? It's just a strange coincidence. It's actually, it's, it's, 
it's been so long since we did a water cooler that this actually wouldn't have happened because I would have talked about Ma on last week's edition and then I remember Mama on this week's edition. So it, it's just it just worked out that way. Strange. Yeah. Um, so this is a 1948 movie. Uh, it's directed by George Stevens and it stars Irene Dunn. It's kind of it's just this classic um, family drama with a little bit of coming of age. It reminded me a little bit of Little Women, uh, but it follows this uh, Norwegian family of immigrants living um, in America in uh, San Francisco in 1910, and just follows their uh, lives as a family, dealing you know with um, you know their 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 kids growing up, one of them getting sick, and just like how strong that their mother was, and like it's it's all framed by the um, one of the family's uh, daughters who has become a writer and she's telling the story of their, their family. And so there's um, the, the similarities to little women sort of stop there, except for just like the closeness of the family and like how it's flashing back and digging into, you know, these, these kind of pivotal moments that they've experienced over the years. And it's just a, it's just a nice heartfelt classic drama. Um, it was nominated for five Academy Awards, uh, including Irene Dunn, who won for her, uh, lead role as as mama in the movie um it was actually her last um oscar win out of five that she got over you know her entire career and so yeah it's um it's a very charming movie that's uh you know if if you're into these kind of classic films i think that you'll you'll walk away being being pleased that you watched it okay let's move on to ht you got to see the new fast and furious movie I did. I got to see F9, the review of which you can see on SlashFilm.com. And I gave a reaction that I said at the beginning was going to be brief on a water cool, not water cool, a daily episode a couple weeks ago before, when we were supposed to have a water cooler the next day, um, which actually was quite um, <laughs> thorough. So it's, it's, I'm going to give a brief reaction here. It's uh, exceptionally silly. So um, I will open the floor to questions. Is it exceptionally silly in a fun way? Like, is that a good thing? Yes. Okay. I would say so. Your mileage may vary, pun intended, but I I enjoyed <laughs> it. I think it was uh, a movie that like brought the Fast and Furious movies back on track after the fate of the Furious was this really sort of soulless uh, just not as enjoyable, not as 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 uh, silly and and fun as the previous ones have been. And I think this one is like the most self aware of the past Fast and Furious movies. There's always been like that degree of self awareness, but this one was even more so. Like they literally poke fun and uh, make reference to the fact that everything is is very escalated at this point. Uh, HD, real quick, um, what the hell is that? the name of that actor? Scott Eastwood. Uh, I despise his inclusion in this franchise. Am I going to be disappointed? Is he in this movie a lot? Scott Eastwood from Fate of the Furious? Yeah, yeah. he was He was um, oh, yeah. Mr. He, Nobody's assistant guy. And it seemed yeah, like he's in the nowhere Fate to be Fu- seen. Oh, thank God. Okay, that is the <laughs> best Justin Lin's like, I don't care about this guy. So he, <laughs> there's no mention of him. I completely forgot that he was in Fate of the Furious. Incredible. I completely okay. forget he's in any movie, really. Poor Scott Eastwood, just comp- uh, a charisma yeah. hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> yeah. Is, so, yeah, no mention of him. Is, um... Han's return as satisfying as you hoped? It's satisfying and silly, if that makes sense. Okay. Do they explain why, like, the whole Shaw situation with that? Don't I mean, answer you, that. Don't okay. answer that. Okay, 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 okay. I, I, I just don't know I how you answer. deal with that and have everybody happy. 
is what I'm. There's uh, some. I talked about this in the past uh, episode where I talked about F9, but um, there's some reverse Marvel Cinematic Universe thing going on here. Okay. And uh, so it's it's sort of like they're they looked at the franchise and were like, oh, we should probably connect all of these haphazard uh, ramshod movies together, and uh, they did a lot of that in this movie. I always like when a franchise does that. Star Wars does it a lot with like animated and books. And, uh, you know, if you can make stuff retroactively better, that's a win-win, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, What else have you been watching, HD? So other things I've been watching uh, is The Man from Nowhere, the Korean uh, revenge thriller from 2010 starring Won Bin and directed by Lee Jung-bum. And uh, this is a movie that I had always intended to get to watch at some point, but um, I finally did. It's streaming on Hulu, I think. And um, it's great. It's this great, sleek bloody revenge thriller um, uh, that follows a, uh, a man from nowhere played by Wan Bin, who is a pawn shop worker, and uh, his neighbor and her daughter get kidnapped by this um, drug lord. Uh, and uh, he had a close relationship with the daughter, so he goes on this, he's, he cuts this bloody swath through Saul to try to uh, get the girl back. And um, pretty straightforward i wasn't quite on board with Wan bin's performance at first he was almost too stoic to the point that i found myself a little bored with his performance i thought he was just kind of wooden but he um once he cut all that hair out of his face and um started to show some emotion later on i was like okay he that's fine so um i but i will say i was really intrigued by the the actor who played his antagonist, the Thai actor, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, Thanayang Wong Trakol, who was just really cool. He played this assassin who cleans up after the um, the drug uh, the drug triads crimes and stuff. So he, uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great sleek revenge thriller. Uh, I feel like Chris has probably seen this one. Yes. No. Okay. Maybe. Sorry, I was I was writing something so my microphone wasn't in front of me. Uh, but yes, I have seen this, <laughs> and it's good. Thank okay. you, everyone. All right. Cool. Um, another movie that I watched is uh, The Disciple, which is a film that is that was picked up by Netflix. It's an Indian drama directed by Chaitanya Taman. Hey, Tamane Taman. Also probably butchered that name. I'm very sorry. And it follows this uh, musician who is a, a aspiring classical music vocalist. And he is um, he, very devoted to the art, to the craft, and dreams of being this great musician, um, but also is very dedicated to the idea of purity within this music and doesn't like the idea of doing it for show or or for or, or even recording it or doing it for something that's more trendy. Um, but as the years go by, he realizes, he starts to realize that people who were um, learning alongside him have, have outstripped him and that he has to sort of live with his mediocrity and that maybe his devotion to this purity of music was misguided to begin with. Um, and it's sort of like this idealist who ends up being cut down by his own mis- mis- his own faults, essentially. Um, it's a really 
trance-like and slow film, really gorgeously shot, uh, that I think um, was uh, won at a, an award at TIFF. It won the Amplify Voices Award. And this is another movie that Netflix kind of scooped up and buried in its algorithm. I feel like this happens to a lot of the international gems that they pick up a lot of film festivals in an attempt to boost their cred as a distributor of art house films, but they end up burying it in their algorithm, uh, which I always find really, really frustrating. So uh, if you can, and if you're up for it, I would highly recommend seeking out The Disciple um, on Netflix. It's a really beautiful movie, but I will warn you, it is very slow, especially at the beginning. So uh, be prepared to just kind of sit in um, and watch um, a really interesting, uh, really fascinating movie unfold. So that's The Disciple, streaming now on Netflix. And next that I, last I saw, oh, this one is the one that I've been really, really watching because um, this is a, an anime that I had been hearing a lot of and many people had raved of, but uh, I had no interest in it, about zero to none, because I don't really care about sports. I don't really even care for sports movies outside of a, a couple of classics. And even then I'm like, oh, that was good, but I don't have a, a, a big affection or passion for them. So I just kind of watched this sort of on a lark and was like, oh, if I like it, I like it. Uh, but now I'm obsessed and I'm already se three seasons in after having <laughs> started last week. And that anime is called Haikyuu. And um, it's, it's spelled H-I-K- uh, Y-U exclamation point for those who are wondering about the spelling. Um, and it's about a, a short like five foot three uh, wing spiker in volleyball who wants to be, who dreams of becoming the ace of his team, but he has been, you know, saddled with his short height and with a school that didn't really have a team to begin with. So when he arrives at a new high school that has a, an established team that once was one of the great teams, but now has kind of fallen from grace. He's excited to finally uh, become that that ace that he dreamed of being. Uh, but he finds that he is on the same team as his middle school rival, uh, who had once uh, uh, admonished and humiliated him. And they end up becoming an unlikely duo uh, with a a. a a freak quick attack that many people call uh, because it's so quick and so and so out of the blue uh, because of the the other the rivals sort of uh, prodigal skills and um, the short ones very quick reflexes they manage to wow everyone on their team and wow all the rival teams that they play against and I'm. I was I've been very obsessed with this show ever since I watched it last week. Um, so much so that I was grateful for the fact that this past Memorial Day weekend, it rained the entire weekend, and it was like fifty degrees in New York City, end of May, two days from June. I don't know what, what was up with that, but I was secretly grateful for it because that means I could spend my entire Saturday watching the entire first season of Haikyuu, which was available on Netflix. And um, now I, I think about Haikyuu a lot. And I, I just, I dream about it. And I didn't think that I would be this invested in an anime about volleyball. But it's a show that is so pure in its love for the game and in the character's love for the game that you can't help being swept up in it as well. It 
I sp- I wrote about it for my quarantine stream, and I I kind of jokingly wrote the the phrase, um, "What's better than this? Just guys being dudes," which is a reference to a vine for <laughs> you fellow millennials. I'm sorry, um, but it feels very much like that. It feels like this. It's all about that that um, that love for the sport and this kind of pure sense of, of of love and camaraderie and sportsmanship that these boys feel, and that volleyball is their entire world. And uh, even if it kind of takes the form of an underdog show, an underdog story. Uh, it doesn't paint the rivals in any kind of black or white way. Even the the teams that they play against get their own sort of backstory and um, and struggles and arcs. And that's what I really love about it. It's just, it's just about how much they love volleyball and how much they just want to get better at volleyball. It's great. I love it. Boys are great. <laughs> HT, after your whole set up there what made you decide to give this a chance i'm just a little confused because it seems like <laughs> well the most most recent season the fourth season uh, i think dropped last like late last year mid mid last year i know everyone was talking about it and i don't know i just was looking for something to watch and uh i decided to watch it and it was it was streaming on on netflix but now i've gone past the two seasons that are available on netflix and i have to watch it on crunchyroll where it has ads but yeah, I oh, don't no. I don't know why I decided to watch it. I just I just did on a whim and now I can't stop thinking about it. And now my entire YouTube algorithm is just clipped from Haikyuu cuz I keep watching it and it's it's a great show, guys. I would recommend this even if you aren't a fan of anime because it's a very straightforward story. It really is just about the sport and the vo- and volleyball and why they love it. And um that uh that poetry of motion, the animation too, is so crisp and so smooth. It's really, really, really great to look at. Um, I was quite impressed with it. I think a lot of modern anime, because animators are highly underpaid and overworked, that it kind of, a lot of quality gets thrown under the bus. But Haikyuu just is incredibly high quality in terms of animation and storytelling and its characters. So yeah, <laughs> I've raved about this enough. I will just say one more time, watch it. Boys are great. Have, I'm sure I asked you this before, HG, but have you ever seen Friday Night Lights? I have, actually. I started watching the first season with my dad, who, uh, funny enough, coaches volleyball, but I had no interest in volleyball <laughs> until I watched IQ. <laughs> um, but he loves sports shows and movies, and I was like, I think you would like this show, my dad. And uh, we watched it, and he started watching ahead of me, so I haven't watched it since. Uh, I usually hate like most things sports, but Friday Night Lights like seriously scratches that itch of, I think when you were describing the show, I mean, it seems like this show is more on the sports and less on the the high school drama or the, yeah, yeah. there's barely any high school drama. It's kind of amazing. Usually there's some sort of internal, like external life to the volleyball world, but really all the drama (laughs) and all the character building takes place on the court, which is kind of amazing. I would recommend this. I think you would enjoy this, Peter. I think, Brad, you would also enjoy this. This might be the gateway show for you. I don't know. Gateway to anime is this volleyball show. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to Ben. Uh, I, I think in previous weeks, both Jacob and I have praised Disney's Cruella. And uh, Ben, 
you're here to give us the other side of things. Yeah, I just really did not like this movie. Um, I don't need to go on a whole rant about it. it just wasn't for me. I didn't really appreciate uh, almost any of the creative choices in it. Um, I know that sounds glib, but I, I really think it's it's pretty true. I think that the one thing that I'm happy about is that this is not a you know a shot for shot remake in the vein of the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or something. It's they're at least doing something else. Um, I just happen to think in this instance that something else was not uh, not what I wanted to see. It was not um, particularly well done. Uh, but I I hope I guess I hope it does well. So Disney will hopefully learn the lesson of like okay, it's 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 okay to um, you know diverge from the source material or whatever. Uh, so. Yeah, I just, um, man, the, the, I, I don't even want to get into a, a list of reasons why I didn't care for this movie because I just, I feel like I would get sidetracked and we'd be here all day. So uh, I'll just say Cruella was not very good in my opinion. So I'll leave it at that. I'm sure everybody else can, can you know, it, it's out on uh, in theaters right now. I think it's on Disney Plus if you want to check it out. I wouldn't encourage it, but, um, but Wait, yeah. Go I, I, I got to ask you, Ben, what, what is like if you were going to give the number one reason? Why you did not like this movie? Oh man! Um, or what is what bugged you the most about Corolla? Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me try to think about this. Um, there are so many that are like vying for for that top <laughs> spot, Peter. That it's honestly hard to to come up with something. Um, I think let's just say the the uh, soundtrack. That's something that I've, I've seen a lot of um, celebration of, and I think. This is this movie must have like just an absolutely insane budget for you know set aside for music because there are wall to wall not just famous but like arguably iconic songs in this movie and um, the it, it just, I don't know I think a lot of people are like they go to the movies and they're just like oh yeah I know this song this is great I can tap my foot to this for a second and like don't really think about it very much, which is fine. Um, and especially in a movie like this, it's not necessarily asking you to uh, to think critically about the music that you're hearing. It's just sort of serving to like bump up the energy and uh, the pacing of a movie like this. But um, I personally just found it way too distracting. I think uh, it was just the the sheer bombardment of, uh, of this soundtrack really like took me out of the movie in a way that... Um, that uh, yeah distracted me and, and I was not, not a fan of so uh, that's one reason. Um, no, that, no, that's that's good because I think even people that like it point out that soundtrack because it is so obvious and something that you occurs to you while you're watching it. You're like, oh wow, there's all these songs like it, and maybe that is a good criticism because a good movie maybe you shouldn't be thinking that so. Yeah, I mean, you know, different movies work in different ways, and this one it, it, it tried something. I, I respect it for for taking a swing. Um, I just didn't really think it connected for me personally. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, I also watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the very first time. Uh, somehow, I watched the um, the Jessica Biel remake that came out in like the early two thousands. I, I saw that in theaters with my friends when I was in either high school or junior high. I don't remember which. Um, whatever year that that came out, but uh, I've never seen the original movie, and it is on the Criterion uh, channel right now. So I went and, and watched that. And um, Chris, I have a, a question for you, a horror-related question for you. Has there ever been a um, a slasher film protagonist 
that screams more than uh, Marilyn Burns does in the lead role in this movie? <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure the answer is yes, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. There is a lot of, of screaming in this movie, but I also think that screaming is justified because a lot of horrific stuff is going on. Oh yeah. But, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. Um, I mean, as much as you can enjoy something that is like, uh, you know, horrifying like this. Um, I, I think the, the first half is, is pretty quiet, uh, in, in a way that I appreciate it. And, but yeah, man, like the, the entire back half of the movie just seems like one sustained scream from Marilyn Birds. I like actively felt bad for her when I was watching this movie, just being like, man, how many, I wonder how many takes they had to do with this. And just like, uh, just thinking about, you know, this uh, experience from her perspective was just like, holy crap. She was just her lung or her uh, vocal cords must have just been absolutely shot. Um, but yeah, Leatherface, like, you know, I, like I said, I saw that that earlier remake Leatherface as a character never really um, meant anything to me, stood out to me. I I often like forget he exists, you know, when when I think about, you know, the, the great uh, horror movie characters or whatever, I always think about you know, Freddy and Jason and, and those guys. But um, Leatherface does not really enter my mind. But uh, after having seen this and just seeing what a, um, like a, a lumbering force he is uh I, I can totally understand why audiences were completely freaking the hell out when this movie came out in the mid 70s um so and it also had a little bit of that uh that um uh Blair Witch kind of vibe to it where the filmmaking is so good and and so um yeah the, the direction is so purposeful that it kind of feels it almost feels at times like you're watching a home movie like you're watching something that, that is real um so I, I think all of those sort of factors uh combined to be um you know into something that that uh, has certainly stood the test of time so that is the texas chainsaw massacre you can watch it on the, the criterion channel if you want to check that out uh, also on the criterion channel i watched house of great uh, house of games excuse me uh 1987 movie from uh, David Mamet, which this was his uh, feature directorial debut. And he wrote the screenplay. He's a very famous uh, screenwriter and, and stage writer. And um, he's just, uh, you know, one of those like iconoclastic uh, guys. And he, th- this movie House of Games is, um is really, really fun. It's, it's, um it's like a, a dark adult, sexy uh, con man movie. Basically it's, it's all about uh, cons and Ricky Jay, the, the magician who passed away a few years ago, um, it plays a supporting role in it. Uh, I think uh, Lindsay Krauss is the lead and Joe Mantegna is the, the, uh, I guess the male lead in the movie, but um, it's about this woman who basically like stumbles into this, uh, this den of, of con men and sort of like tries to ingratiate herself into their, lives and learn about how they you know pull cons on people so if you like movies like um i don't know the brothers bloom and and um i'm trying to think of other con man movies off the top of my head and i can't come up with any right now but this is sort of in that vein uh it's it's a very sort of like twisty uh sexy thriller and and it's one of those movies that like feels like it's made for adults and we and it's like an original thing and we just don't get very much of that in our current movie landscape so it was refreshing in that regard it's called house of games uh, and then finally, I watched a movie called Plan B, which is on Hulu right now. And it's a comedy, and um, it, it's the latest in this line of comedies about uh, about um, young women who uh, have sexual encounters and then uh, are, this takes place in the aftermath and, and with them trying to figure out what they're going to do. You had um, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always last year, as well as Unpregnant, which is a movie that I sort of 
uh, was trying to champion last year, the HBO Max original um, that that was like, I think it came out right around the time that HBO Max launched and not a lot of people had subscribed to that service yet. And people were still sort of navigating, okay, do I even have this? What's going on? And I still feel like Unpregnant is really um, an unseen uh, gem that has not been um, given its, its proper due. And I feel like a lot of people are watching Plan B because uh, it got a decent marketing push and um, it has a, a great premise. But I really feel like uh, after watching this movie that it's basically doing almost the exact same thing that Unpregnant was doing, but just a little bit worse. Um, and that's th- this uh, Plan B is still good. Um, I just think people are going to watch this movie and be like, wow, this is so like... Uh, fresh and and like a brand new kind of thing, but Unpregnant is just sitting back there, like meekly waving from a distance in the background, like, "Hey guys, I was here last year doing the same thing." So, um, I just want to encourage people maybe watch both of them and see which one you liked the most. But um, Victoria Morales and uh, Kuhu Verma are the two uh, leads in this, and they're both very very good. Um, uh, Natalie Morales uh, directed this movie. Um, and it, it's it's good. It's just watching it uh, with Unpregnant in in the back of your mind. It's kind of insane how many uh, direct connections there are. I actually texted Dave Chen the other day and said, for anybody who listens to this podcast and who also listens to the Slash Filmcast, and I told him, watch Unpregnant and then watch Plan B if you want to do like the biggest boom goes the dynamite moment <laughs> in Slash Film uh, Slash Filmcast history because he does that a lot where he'll he'll draw comparisons um, between movies that. Uh, you know, that, that do the same thing or have the same themes or, or little moments and stuff like that. And there are just almost too many to count between Unpregnant and Plan B. But um, but yeah, I would encourage you to watch both of them. I just happen to like Unpregnant a little bit better. Yeah. Both those movies have great titles. So that's <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, I tried that spicy chicken sandwich that Brad talked about from Burger King last week. Brad, what is it called? It's called like the... It's called the chicken. Chicken. King, I yeah, yeah, Chick King. I think I liked it a little bit more than you. It's better than the one from McDonald's in my mind, but mm-hmm. it's it's still nobody is competing on the level of Popeyes. Yeah, I haven't I tried the spicy one. I only had the regular one. So, oh, you just had the right. Yeah, you don't yeah. like spice. Well, so I will say this though: I do enjoy um, uh, Burger King's spicy chicken sandwich and Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich because it's it's not super spicy. Hmm. Okay, uh, what have you been eating this week? Um, I finally got my hands on uh, the new Cinnamon Toast Crunch variation, which is called Dulce de Leche Crunch. And uh, this is a new permanent flavor. It's not limited edition. So if you want to find it, you know, you don't have to try and like track it down and worry it's going to disappear. It's going to be around for pretty much ever, apparently. And um, it's uh, it's really, really good. It's it's not remarkably different from Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but it has just enough of that Dulce de Leche flavor to, to make it... Um, just just a little bit different from cinnamon toast crunch uh you know it's still crispy and there's still plenty um of you know the <clears throat> the the seasoning all over it whatever whatever you want to call it is, is it called seasoning when it's cinnamon or dulce de leche flavoring i don't know uh anyway it's it's very very good and uh, i don't know it's, it's not going to replace cinnamon toast crunch for me because that's just you know like one of the all-time great cereals but uh it's a it's a nice variation i i, I appreciate it more than some of the other ones too like um, you know, chocolate toast crunch is fine. Uh, I know there's a lot of French toast crunch lovers out there. I'm not like a huge fan of it. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's as great as it's cracked up to be. Um, but this is this is pretty good. I, th- I think it falls somewhere like in the in the middle. 
Um, so uh, I also tried uh, these two new uh, variations on Flips chocolate-covered pretzels snacks. Um, obviously, they're famous for just their regular chocolate-covered pretzels, and they have some some differing flavors. Uh, but they came out with these two new variations um, of pretzel snacks. Uh, one of them is Flips Bites, which are like these candy bar-sized um, snacks that are they're, they're they're kind of like what you would... Um, I guess chocolate covered turtles are pixies, but instead of pecans, it's pretzels and caramel uh, and chocolate in a little like bite-sized uh, morsel. And they're the pretty chewy because of the amount of caramel that's inside them. Uh, the pre- pretzel adds like a nice, you know, uh, salty variation to go along with the chocolate and caramel. And they're, you know, like I said, they're candy bar size too. So like if you wanted to sneak them into a movie theater, not that I'm condoning that, but you know, go ahead and do it. I had a hard time finding these too. So, um, but uh, Flips actually like sent me a small like promotional box to try, which was awesome because uh, um, they were very difficult to find. But if you're looking for them, I guess they're available at Sheets gas stations and CVS, which is I guess the hot place to get chocolate covered pretzels. I don't know. Um, but they have they also have another variation called uh, Flips Stuffed. That's stuff apostrophe D. In case everyone's curious, um, and these are. Uh, pretzel nugget bites that are filled with peanut butter and covered with chocolate, uh, which is like something that I was all about just because I'm uh, as a Reese's peanut butter cup fan, just chocolate and peanut butter mixture in general. I I will try anything that contains chocolate and peanut butter. Um, And these are really good. They're um, for some, somebody like me when I have chocolate and stuff like that, I always like having milk and these almost like it's like a necessity. Like if you were going to eat these, like you're just going to need some milk because the peanut butter with the pretzel and the chocolate, it's just, it's, um, it's really good, but it's also, it'll just, you'll find yourself drying your mouth out, I think, in a, in a hurry, just because of how much, how much there is in one, in one bite, but they're very good. So there you go. Um, I, I, I love that flips just like learn that you were looking for them and they're like, Brad, we'll send you some. Yeah. It's, I mean, I was, I was happy about that. You know, if any, anybody out there wants to do it, I'm not going to be upset about it. <laughs> um so uh english muffins we all like english muffins right there's i i I heard about this like i guess there's english muffin flavors i know there's like very basic variations of like bagels and english muffins like cinnamon raisin and blueberry and stuff like that but it seems like uh thomas english muffins have been like trying to do other like expanding flavors and things like that because i just found out that they have uh they had cinnamon bun english muffins which I was like, okay. Um, and I, I, I grabbed some and I, I didn't want to do it with regular butter. So I used this like honey cinnamon butter that I had from, I think from Kroger is where we got it. Uh, and these are, they're really good. They're, it's like, it's kind of like an, a substitute for a donut, I guess you could say. Cause it's like, it's a little bit sweet, but it's really good toasted. Um, it's not necessarily super satisfying if you're going to have it dry, but if you're having English muffins or toast dry, I think that like you're a maniac. So <laughs> I hope no one's doing that. Uh, but if like you have like a, you know, a, a good um, butter to put on them, they, they have just the right amount of, of sweetness to bring the, uh, the cinnamon bun flavor out. So they're, they're solid. What about for a breakfast sandwich, Brad? I mean, I bet that's actually a really good question. I haven't, I hadn't thought about doing that, but not too long ago, um, I had a, a donut burger from a specialty burger place around <laughs> here where the bun was a, a glazed donut. And uh, it was it's very, very good. A, surpri- a great mix of, you know, salty and sweet. And I feel like this could be interesting, actually. It would probably be like akin to having a McGriddle from McDonald's. Um, it, it probably wouldn't be quite as sweet because it doesn't have that like 
syrupy flavor, but I bet you it would be good with like, have some egg and sausage and cheese on it. I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can give that a try. Yeah, report back. I will. Um, and then something awesome that I tried uh, is this St. Elmo's Cola Cocktail. Uh, St. Elmo's is this very famous steakhouse. If you haven't heard of it, um, it's, it was featured in Parks and Recreation. Um, and apparently they have their own line of whiskey and cocktails that I just learned about. Uh, a friend of mine told me about these canned cola cocktails from St. Elmo's that it is, um, it's bourbon whiskey, uh, cherry and vanilla bean flavors with, um, mixed with, uh, cola essentially, uh, comes in a can. It, the taste is so good. It doesn't taste like alcohol at all. It just tastes like a delicious, uh, cherry vanilla soda and they're they're awesome i was so surprised by how much i like these because normally when i get canned cocktails there's something that's not quite right about the mixture um it doesn't it doesn't taste as good as a, a legit mixed drink if you were to get it from a bar uh but this was just in- incredible the only problem with this is that a four pack of uh cans cost at, uh, when i got them from kroger anyway uh was uh 16.99 which if you think about it in the grand that, scheme of things, that, that that is typical. Like the stuff I get, though, like cut waters are like about four dollars a can. Yeah, and I think it's just I was just like I mean, you can spend you know like seventeen, eighteen dollars and get a whole bottle of you know Jack Daniels or something like that. And so in my mind, I'm like, yeesh. But I guess like if you're paying for a mixed drink somewhere, that's not too bad of a price. Yeah, I think you're you're paying for the convenience spread. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, but the, I, it's not something I'm going to get all the time. But I. They were good to have um, at a, a Memorial Day cookout that I had with some friends. So if you can find them, uh, I got I got mine at Kroger. I don't know if they're available everywhere, so you'll just have to look them up and see. Guys, this week we have a what's what we've been playing. HT, what have you been playing? Yeah, and I'm continuing the old tradition of putting what I've been listening to and what I've been playing, and uh, that is. Big Finish's Ninth Doctor Adventures, The Ravagers. And yes, this is Doctor Who related. <laughs> so this is the lauded return of Christopher Eccleston uh, in his role as the Ninth Doctor. He hasn't been seen on screen as the Doctor since he left the show in 2005. And he has kind of distanced himself from the show pretty famously to the chagrin of many fans. But um because he, there's been some behind-the-scenes chatter about it, mostly that he was blacklisted by the BBC, that he fell out with the producers, and there's all there's a whole like story around that that still hasn't really totally been confirmed. But he's back in the Doctor Who world after 15 years, and he it's only in audio form, but still, it's a really really exciting moment for uh, Doctor Who fans, for Whovians, and um, he's he's just settled into the role. Uh, totally and completely in this audio adventure. It's uh, like three volumes, and um, I didn't—I uh, t- don't know how long it is. Actually, I didn't look it up, but uh, it's—I it, listened to it over uh, like a—I don't—I don't know. Actually, I don't say. I'm just forget that. <laughs> I don't know how long it is. So it, but it's a—it's uh, great return to form for Christopher Eccleston. He is really young sounding and like joyful in the audio drama, which is exciting. It feels like um, there's, he feels, it feels like he's happy to be back in it. Um, the story itself is a little convoluted. I think it, it drops you kind of right in the middle and then it doesn't totally wrap up together. There's, it's, there's a lot, even by Doctor Who standards, there's a lot of plot holes where I was just like, okay, sure. I was just happy enough to have Christopher Eccleston back though. So he'll be returning for more 
audio adventures under Big Finish uh, later on. But um, yeah, I, I shelled out 20 bucks to buy this and uh, I was really happy to hear it, even though even though I have my criticisms with the story itself. Okay, very cool. So you can find that wherever audiobooks are sold. I'm guessing Audible or Amazon. I think it's, yes, it's on Big Finish's website too. There's a, yeah, I'm sure you'll find it. Just look it up. Okay, Uh, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. And Jacob's not here, so he can't read from the book. Nah, 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 nah. (laughs) 